It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. An in-person edition of the show before the show, the Minor League Baseball Podcast. Welcome into the palatial New York offices. I'm Tyler Mon, and right next to me is Sam Dykstra. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. How are you? Good. It's I'm, good to see you. It's good to see you, too. This is like a live <laughs> I made person. I don't know I if know. it comes more across through the mic this way. But, but you, can you just the feel room. the chemistry, all yeah. of you? Um, yeah, no, we're both in the same room. This is a rarity. This is Although this is like our third or fourth, right? Yeah, I mean, it happens more often than people yeah. all might think. I only did it once with Jake. Rest <laughs> in peace, Jake. Jake, I was like, whoa. I just it's... feel infinitely more special now. <laughs> this dude is huge and looks exactly like ryan williams from the cubs um so welcome in this is the 30th episode i flew out just for the 30th episode of the show before the show um that's not true but it is our 30th episode which is crazy which means you've made it through 10 now yeah i think so holy cow Something like that yeah man and we're still we're still flying into uh, late October as we join you for the uh, 30th edition of the show before the show. Tons coming up today. Reese McGuire, Pittsburgh Pirates prospect and an Arizona Fall League participant here in 2015, will join the show in just a little bit. Benjamin Hill will join us as well. All of us in the office. I think it's only the second time we've had three of us uh, sharing a microphone, which will be fun. And uh, yeah, it's it doesn't stop. We're now two weeks into the Arizona Fall League as of this week. This is the second full week of play. The Bowman Hitters Challenge already happened. We'll talk a little bit of AFL later on. We're going to dive right in with uh, episode number 30, our three strikes. We'll start with Organization All-Stars. And we're going to start off alphabetically. We've had three since our last uh, recording of the show, the Cincinnati Reds, the Cleveland Indians, and the Colorado Rockies. Sam, some initial reactions of those three which have gone up on the site over the last week. Yeah, I'll kind of start with the Reds. Um, guy, I kind of want to just highlight uh, last week the way we did it was, you know, a couple guys who we uh, expected to be there and some we didn't. And Tyler Molly kind of falls into that second category for me. He was a seventh rounder back in 2013. 21-year-old, um, just turned 21, so he was pitching at age 20 this year in Day- Dayton. Um, and had a it was thirteen and eight, two point four three ERA, one hundred thirty five strikeouts, uh, and one hundred fifty two innings was certainly you know sturdy in that regard. And uh, for the Reds, you know, going through these when we were coming up with the Org All Stars, it was the pitching that kind of stood out in that Red system. Um, so for for them, you know, to go into those two categories, the guy who surprised me at least was Molly, the way he put himself on the map there in Dayton. Um, but from the other side was Amir Garrett. Um, the way he kind of solidified what we all thought about him, what he was going to do when, with another full season under his belt, certainly performed very, very well in Daytona. Uh, you know, 133 strikeouts and 143 or 140 in a third innings, 2.44 ERA. Uh, that's kind of what stood out to me in that system um, was really just the pitching. You know, I would be really excited to see Garrett going forward. I've talked to him about his basketball career. Then he decided to go full on baseball. Um, the stuff you hear about him, you know, his fastball, his off-speed stuff is really coming along fast now that he is, you know, a full-time participant. Um, kind of wish they had they had uh, pushed him a little bit at Pensacola. I know they, you know, don't, don't want to give him too much of a challenge in that second full year, but 
the way he was dominating the FSL, even going into the playoffs, looking strong there. Uh, wish they could have pushed him to Pensacola, but that, that didn't quite work out. So, you know, they'll be happy with the results they got out of him. Um, over in Cleveland, um, you know, I, I remember doing a tool shed earlier in this year about Bradley Zimmer, how he kind of outperformed his tools, both, you know, hitting-wise and running. Um, they had a great problem there in Lynchburg to start the year between him and Clint Frazier, who are both org all-stars now. Guys had to switch between center field just because they had uh, – too many center fielders on the team. They both think they'll be center fielders going forward. So a lot to be excited there for. And Zimmer had an injury the second half of the season. Um, so you saw his numbers tail off. We thought that was a little bit of he can't, you know, he hasn't grown accustomed quite yet to double-A pitching. I think that injury had a lot to do with it too. So it was interesting to learn that afterwards. Um, he was a guy we thought was going to go to the AFL. That didn't quite work out. Uh, but a, a guy who kind of surprised me at least a little bit. He, he is a little bit of an advanced pitcher. He's 24 years old, but Adam Pluko, UCLA product, same school that produced Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer, um, who you know we're talking about in the majors now, um, really stood out the way he pitched at Lynchburg and at Akron. Uh, 2.39 ERA this year, uh, 137 strikeouts, only walked 28 guys. Um, again, a little bit of an advanced age, you know, not necessarily the prime prospect age we like to talk about with these guys, but the way he pitched, put himself at least on the map. Um, should expect him in Columbus, if not to start next year, at least going forward, and maybe getting a, a look as a back-end starter at some point in Cleveland. Um, and that's how you put yourself on the map. Even if you are that old, you can only pitch where you are. So Pluko was one of those guys, and a good guy to talk to, too. Um, I, I think you kind of talked about Tyler Molly a little bit in the same way that I remember last year when he was in Billings. It's it's hard sometimes for you to get a beat on a guy who is in the Northwest League or the Pioneer League or some of those, you know, the New York Penn League, some of the short season leagues where you're being tested with a lot of different stuff. It's one of your first introductions to pro ball. But it seemed like Molly was one of those guys who every single time he went out in the Pioneer League, and this is in 2014, had one of those lines where it's seven innings and two hits and a run or, right. you know, seven strikeouts, one of those things. So to watch him continue to progress this year, I think you hit the nail on the head with him. And on the Indian side, I really, really like Bobby Bradley. I talked to Bobby Bradley earlier this year, one of the, the really good power hitters in the low minors, and he was coming off of an injury. And one of the things he said to me impressed me more than almost anything in any interview I had this year. He said while he was out – he didn't view it as a, a frustrating thing, the injury or anything like that. He just viewed it as an opportunity for him to take more mental at-bats in the dugout than he would get actual at-bats for the entire season. Mm -hmm. He said, I just sat and watched guys, and if I liked what somebody did, I'd ask them about it or i ask them about what they saw from a given pitcher in a certain circumstance. And Guys like that, especially at that age and at that level, that's incredibly impressive to me. So Bobby Bradley is another organization all-star, one of those guys who really came off as, as being a high riser this year. Yeah, and the thing about Bradley, too, I, I remember we got – or I, at least I got a couple tweets because I wrote the uh, Midwest League All-Stars and Ryan McBroom was the MVP and he was the pick at both first base and DH. And again, I have to highlight that was not me picking. <laughs> um, that was you know media members, managers, the whole thing. But with Bobby Bradley, the way his power stood out, just to give you a stat on it, he hit 27 homers in 108 games this year for Lake County. Number two in the Midwest League was Casey Gillespie who hit only 16. So... Bobby Bradley hit 11 more homers than anybody else in the Midwest League. And that's, you know, it's a low level, but it's a level where you're playing against a lot of younger guys his age. And he was just that much more dominant from a power perspective. And that's a homer basically every three games. Yeah, exactly. 108 games. Yeah. I mean, that's not going an entire season. He had the injury early on. I think that was in April where he missed some time. But 
Um, so those are some thoughts on the uh, the Indians and the Reds uh, as we cover the state of Ohio and then move a little bit west and the Colorado Rockies organization All Stars. Uh, Sam, some thoughts. I know there was uh, there was part of that story that you very much enjoyed. Yes, very very much enjoyed. I actually wrote it down, made sure I highlighted it. Uh, Tyler did it for all of those who haven't read it yet, so go check it out on the site for the the Rockies org All Stars. But um, a guy we didn't necessarily think might have been here just because he had a major injury was David Dahl. And it got, I'll let Tyler explain this, but it got to use one of my favorite phrases all time, which is <laughs> sans spleen. So, Tyler, you explain what, what went in there. So, David Dahl uh, was really on the, the cusp of kind of figuring himself out in double A in late May when he was injured in a collision uh, out in center field and a very scary injury. He actually lacerated his spleen. Uh, was rushed into emergency surgery at a, a hospital nearby. His father was actually in attendance at that game. So he hopped in the, the ambulance with, with David. They rode over to the hospital. David had emergency surgery to save his spleen. Looked like that was going to rob him with the rest of the season. And then three days later, he had surgery to remove the spleen entirely so he could come back. The, the situation is basically for the rest of his life, he'll have to get certain shots and kind of manage things the way that somebody without a spleen needs them to be done. But had he kept the spleen, the rehab process and all that kind of stuff coming off of a, a surgery and with it being that delicate, there was some talk he'd have to wear protective padding around his, his abdomen to keep his spleen safe should anything like that happen again. So David decided, nah, I'm going to go without a spleen from now on. So <laughs> had surgery to remove the spleen. Surgery was on June 2nd, I believe. July 17th, he's back in games. Like, what? How does that yeah, happen? I don't know. That's insane to me. And and comes back and was very, very successful. When he came back to AA, he slashed 292, 318, 481, a far better mark than he had going into the injury. So to be able to, you know, kind of like what we talked about with Bobby Bradley, to stay mentally geared in and all that kind of stuff and come back and be better after an injury, maybe because a little bit because of that time off, is really, really impressive to me. And already being tested at a pretty tough level, David Dahl's had a very long few seasons. Last year was really good but of course in 2013 had a, a very isolated off the field issue at the beginning of the season that cost him a month of games during kind of a, an in-house disciplinary measure when he missed a flight to Asheville to join his team at the beginning of the season gets back starts off pretty well then tears his hamstring uh, so missed basically the entire 2013 season long few years for David Dahl and now an Oregon lighter and playing uh, playing pretty well in double-A. Yeah, for me the thing would be, you hear pitchers talk all the time, is like if you get the, a, hit, a ball hit right back at yeah. you, you it's tough to get back on the mound again so for him, the fact that he lost an Oregon in this, going back into center field, not necessarily you talked about his offensive numbers which were fantastic after the surgery, but just to get back on the field and think any time you're going to be whacking right. into somebody or something or you know, a pitch is going to hit you the wrong way, and all of a sudden you're going to have to lose a pinky. You know, whatever. Like, coming over that mental block is as much a thing as the physical block. I think the that, too, was part of the reason why he decided to undergo the surgery and have the spleen taken out because I think, yeah, that affects you for the – had he kept it, and, you know, you got to wear the protective padding, and, and depending on the way that you're hit or the severity of, of being hit – and if he had kept his spleen, that could be really serious going forward. So, I mean, a gutsy decision for a kid like David Dolan to come back and then slash way better than what you were doing before the injury yeah. is really impressive for a kid at that age at that level. Um, one of the guys who I, I thought was fascinating to talk to both Rockies uh, player development director Zach Wilson and Class A manager uh, Warren Schaefer, the Asheville Tourists, is Kevin Padlow. Padlow is an interesting story because the Rockies, when they took him – in the fifth round in 2014 uh, out of high school in California, really impressed with his debut season. And I think 
were were very aggressive with the way they assigned him coming out of spring training in 2015. They sent him to Class A, full season Asheville, and Pablo really struggled there. Only OPS 550 through about 30 games or so. So the Rockies reevaluated the situation, pulled him out of the South Atlantic League, sent him to extended spring training, and where I think a lot of guys would really collapse mentally because of that, Pablo viewed it as a huge positive. He went back, he got to be around a lot of the guys he was drafted with, guys he knew, coaches he was comfortable with. Went to Boise uh, from there for short season uh, class a ball in the northwest league and blew up was fantastic for boise this year that impressed me more than that though was the way that both zach wilson and warren schaefer talked about it which was the same sort of thing you could do that to a 19 year old kid and really just have it kill his confidence but to have somebody who has that mental maturity and the ability to view it as no this is a positive for me it's a positive for the organization i'm going to make the best of it that really impressed me so i've got a lot on kevin padlow in this story there's a lot more over on the blog uh there's some takes from zach wilson and warren schaefer on the the big trade acquisition uh the troy tulowitzki deal both are all three guys um jeff hoffman miguel Castro and, and Jesus Tinoco came over and were very successful. So a lot of stuff on those guys as well. So organization all-stars continuing. We're through the C's now. D's up next. Detroit Tigers, we're looking at you. And uh, you can find those all on MILB.com as well. Arizona Fall League, we're going to talk about it in a little bit with uh, Reese McGuire, the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. But there's a lot of stuff going on in the AFL. Sam, what are some of the early storylines in the, uh, what, what are they called? The Grand Canyon State. Yeah, the Grand Canyon State. I, I always feel like it's too easy yeah, to call it the yeah, Grand Canyon. Yeah, just name it after a landmark. Right, yeah. Come on. Um, yeah, so I, we kind of previewed this a little bit last week, but the way we're doing this this year, we're doing notebooks. We're doing gamers on really interesting you know, in, in-game stories, as we've done in the past here at MILB.com. But uh, we're going to have, every week, we're going to have a notebook on the individual AFL teams, and we're going to be highlighting a specific organization. So every organization will be highlighted at least once. Uh, this autumn and uh, this week I, I did a, one of those notebooks on Sam Travis um, which you know kind of caught my eye just because he's he's there after a very good first season in the Red Sox system was a second round pick last year out of Indiana um, but the reason he kind of caught my eye and the kind of gist of the story is that Kyle Schwarber we know right now is doing really really well for the Cubs in the playoffs been doing really really well for them you know this second half of the year ever since he was called up even before that uh, so him and Travis were kind of buddy-buddy. In fact, I found a video from the Big Ten Network in which they were called the Bash Brothers when they were freshmen. And in the video, it's the, their coach turns to them and says, hey, do you guys know who the Bash Brothers are? And I think it's Schwarber first uh, who says, I thought you were talking about the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> which, you know, God bless. What a 90s kid answer. Exactly, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the video itself is from – 2012 so it's supposed to show aren't these kids crazy they were born in 1993 which like now of course as time goes they're 22 year olds but um yeah and then travis comes out the cage and they're like sam did you know who the bash brothers were too and he's like no, i thought you were talking about the ducks too so they're both you could see the confusion on their face i think they've heard that story enough where they they know it's conseco and mcguire but um yeah, those guys were always kind of attached to the hip, you know, batting second and third in the Hoosiers lineup that year. They led them to a, the first ever College World Series appearance. Um, so Schwarber, you know, obviously killing the ball in the majors. Travis was making his moves up. Um, like I said, had a really good year this year. Split the year between Salem and Portland in the Sox system. Um, isn't going to have, despite he's, despite being a first baseman, he's not going to have the power that Schwarber does. Uh, he had only nine homers this year. Um, so he's... He, his 
ceiling isn't as a, you know a guy who's going to hit 30 homers. He, he'd be lucky to get double digits, 15 to 20, once he gets to the majors. But he is a guy who's going to make high contact rates. He's going to have high OBPs, and certainly there's value there, kind of like a Casey Kochman type. If we're looking at that, he he said he grew most defensively, and I know a lot of scouts were looking for him to do that. So that's a that's a big thing for him. Um, but the big question for me to him was, what does Schwarber's or what does Schwarber's production? You know, your best buddy, seeing him perform in the majors, uh, what does that do for yourself? And he's like, well, confidence has never been a problem for me. Uh, I'll read you the full quote actually. So, so, yeah, confidence is never really an issue for me. I've always been a believer that I can hit no matter where I am. It doesn't surprise me to see what he's doing, but for me, I'm just taking it day by day. I've got to focus on the present and right now that's performing here. So I think he's trying to say the right things right there, but he's not surprised that Schwarber's doing well, and I don't think he'll be surprised when he's doing well in the majors whenever that comes. That could be next year. You know, the Sox are in flux at first base. They, they want to move Hanley Ramirez there. Who knows if that'll stick. And Travis Shaw overperformed this year, so there's a decent chance he comes crashing back down to earth next year. These are names everybody's going to be familiar with. That's the cool thing about it, especially the Arizona Fall League. I mean, you know, with guys who are really, really talented, really high ceilings, and organizations are very high on, and that segues us into strike three this week. Josh Jackson had a piece, uh, one of the surprise Sawaros, in case you are uh, one of those people who doesn't know how to pronounce that team name. Uh, Josh Hader is a guy who's had to deal with the emotions of being traded not once but twice. And this is a really good story uh, up on the site this week because – I think it would be very easy to get derailed by, well, none of these organizations want me, not how he sees it. Yeah, yeah, and the, that was the interesting thing about what Josh said. It, you know, especially going into the AFL where you have to switch teammates again. These right. are not guys in your organization. And he's like, listen, I just pitch. You know, I, I, I have my pitches. I know what I need to do, and I just throw the ball, uh, which is a very, you know, it's a good outlook to have. That might be beaten into him at this point, being traded that much. Uh, but even in the minors, when you're even switching levels so often, that kind of thing. Uh, but the interesting thing at the end of that story, too, was he talked about having Brett Phillips behind him. And we know Phillips was a guy brought right. over from the Astros. So these are already guys who are melding together in a Brewer system that got a you know good infusion of talent this year um, when they, that farm system could kind of really use it between, you know, they now have Arcia, Hayter, Phillips. They got Domingo Santana. Um, they've got that youth infusion that they really needed. Um, so we'll we'll see how Hader goes. He's going to be pitching a lot in the bullpen, uh, as Josh wrote. But uh, yeah, it, interesting that just kind of dynamic of what do you do when you're traded that much. They also uh, on these stories on our notebooks, we've got little notes at the the bottom, our in brief section. And I just want to single out Josh Jackson for the phenomenal titles of his. <laughs> He's got one about Bubba Starling that he titled Bubblicious. And uh, one about Lewis Brinson and his walk rate that he titled Waka Waka Waka. There you go. Nice job, yeah. Josh. That's More fantastic. Muppets references on MILB.com. That's, I'll, I'll try to work that in That's myself. Our, this is all part of the Muppets branding campaign for that new show. Yeah. Something like that. Why not? Uh, we are going to talk a little bit more Arizona Fall League. Reese McGuire will join the show next. Pittsburgh Pirates prospect who is down there this season and uh, learning the tools of the trade from kind of a, a different perspective in the AFL. Reese joins the show, the 30th edition of the show before the show right now. Pittsburgh Pirates prospect Reese McGuire joins the 30th edition of the show before the show live from the Arizona Fall League. And uh, Reese, guest on episode number 30, has to be a huge feather in your cap. Like, you know, Class A advance, get named to the AFL. But episode number 30 of our show, I'm sure, is a huge highlight for you. 
<laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Welcome in, man. So uh, just tell us about the AFL experience. You're one of the high-A guys who's down there. Uh, some time this year with Class A Advanced Bradenton and, and getting to go to the AFL now, which is such a star-studded league, and a little bit of time off for you, not a ton. But what are uh, some of your early impressions of the Arizona Fall League and the way things have been through this first now almost uh, two weeks of games? I mean, you know, I'm excited to be here and uh, representing the Pirates and uh, getting to play another month and a half of ball. I only got, I think, three, maybe four days off back home, so that was good, you know, to hang out with family and friends. But, you know, I'm excited to be down here, and this is something I wanted to do. Uh, you know, at the start of the season, that was a goal of mine, was to hopefully get selected by the Pirates for this. Yeah, and Reese, kind of going into your role as a catcher, um, you know, in the AFL, you're working with so many different guys you haven't worked before, different organizations, different teams, different levels, all that kind of thing. I know yesterday you caught a bunch of different guys. Um, what is it like working with a staff like that in the AFL and having to get to learn so many new arsenals, so many different arm angles, all that kind of stuff? It's, it's really fun. It's been uh, it's been awesome to work with pretty much all these guys, uh, you know, just picking their brains and learning what they like to do and um, just kind of going out there and having fun together. And, uh, you know, it, it makes my job a little easier when they're, spotting up pitches and and you know having a, a feel out there yeah we talked about this a little bit beforehand but um you know you read the scouting report on you you're you're a very strong defensive catcher um, a lot of people like to talk about your pitch framing and i know james and tyone talked about it when he worked with you in instructs a little bit um what goes into that kind of work trying to become a better pitch framer a better defensive catcher and uh how much is that kind of a strength in the, in the pirate system and how, how do they help you work with it um, yeah, it's a big thing now. You see, is uh, the percentages of you know balls called strikes by you know catchers getting pitches and things like that, and that's a huge emphasis with the Pirates. You know, we work on it a lot, uh, just receiving all kinds of pitches off machines, left-handed, right-handed breaking balls, fastballs, sinkers, all that. And uh, it's fun for me because I mean, when I'm back there and all of a sudden I take a pitch and I know it's borderline and I get it called a strike, you know, I'm uh, I'm doing my job every every pitch, you know, that I can make a strike and uh you know i think every catcher is different and so in the bullpen is where i get a lot of my work in is just you know trying out different slots with my with my um you know where i'm setting up my target and things like that so it's all fun to me reese when you look at you know a lot of the talent that you get to work with um i know sam and i had talked about the the tweet that jameson tyone sent about what a joy it is just to watch you receive pitches and all that kind of stuff and and all of the the talents that has climbed through that organization right now being able to work with good pitchers is something that you now get a chance to do both as a member of the pirates organization but also in the afl how much does that help you improve as a catcher to get to work with such a wide array of of pitchers i mean i know in spring training you're working with some of the big league guys and now you get to work with some of the top pitching prospects and organizations but what does that do for you as a catcher not just being able to you know kind of learn your own game but learn from them yeah no it's huge for sure I mean these are the guys that are going to be you know at the upper levels and in the big leagues pretty soon and so for me you know this is the dose of what it's going to be like and um, you know and just to hear feedback from them as well you know a lot of these guys that you know I've only met and know known for like a week or so are already telling me like look man I love throwing to you you know I like this and this so it's good to hear feedback and uh you know i get down to spring training early with the pirates and get to catch some of the big league guys and you know that's really exciting for me and i'm looking forward to catching those guys in the future and uh you mentioned before you get a little you know buzz out of out of sticking it out of you know getting maybe getting the ball turned into a strike what, what gives you a little extra buzz is it 
that kind of situation, you know, knowing what type of player you are or a homer, I know you didn't have one this year in the FSL, but uh, what, what do you get more pumped for, you know, getting a ball turned into, into a strike or a homer? Um, I mean, I think, you know, be, me being a catcher, just anything I can do defensively, you know, my job is to manage the game and, and, and call – call the game and work with the pitchers and stuff like that so I think uh you know my defense is going to be more important than my offense and so I'd also say you know throwing out a runner stealing second excites me more than a home run. Reese let me ask you this you are a a Seattle area guy um, from Kentwood High School and we had uh, Blake Snell Tampa Bay Rays prospect on recently who's also a Seattle area guy and there is a, a surprising load of talent that comes out of that region. I mean, I know, I think a lot of people caught on to it a few years ago when Oregon State was winning national championships and really competing year in and year out at the highest levels collegiately. But to be one of those guys who comes out of, you know, a quote-unquote cold weather climate as, you know, the the people in Texas and California and Arizona and Nevada would would deem you, um, what is it about baseball in that area that's churning out so much talent right now? I mean, Matt Haig went to your high school. Uh, there's been a lot of big leaguers, it feels like, in recent seasons who have come out of the Pacific Northwest. What do you think did you grow up with as an asset, um, you know, kind of learning how to play ball up there? Yeah, no, I think uh, one huge thing that I that I can think of is, you know, up in the Northwest, obviously it, it rains quite a bit and you get some colder weather and our, our baseball seasons are much shorter than, you know, like you said, California, Florida, Texas. You know, those are pretty much year-round. And I think uh, growing up, you know, when it's raining or, uh, it's the winter time. Everybody's getting in the cages and, and working on the basis thing, you know, getting back on the tee, uh, working on fundamentals and things like that. And I think that goes a long way over time. And I think your body also uh, benefits from, you know, not necessarily playing a full season, full year, you know, starting when you're probably 10. Uh, and so I think, you know, just getting in the cages and, and working on the small stuff is, is, is uh, working out for the Northwest guys. And kind of looking ahead, you know, both of the rest of this AFL season going ahead to next year. You mentioned spring training. Um, you know, looking forward to, as a young guy, as a guy who was taken out of high school in the first round, um, a lot of people say you're going to grow into yourself, you're going to grow into the player you're going to be. Um, you know, what kind of player do you want to grow into, and what do you think is the biggest areas you can grow in going forward? Um, I think for me, you know, I feel really uh, ahead of my age and I feel like my baseball IQ and just my natural instincts behind the dish calling games and and being able to pick up on things uh controlling the running game um as well as on the offensive side being in the dugout and, and watching pitchers tendencies and um you know so everything just you know focused on on the moment in the game and being able to communicate that and be a leader in the dugout and on the field is uh is going to be a big part of my game you know as I move forward and either, you know, we talked a lot about your work defensively and, you know, sitting back there, you know, either somebody from your childhood, somebody in the game now, somebody historically, anybody like that, looking back, who would you most want to catch all time? Just to have that front row seat to see somebody's perfect, you know, 12 to 6 curveball or somebody's 100 mile an hour fastball. Who would you, if you had your pick, who could you catch? Um, a pitcher, are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gosh, I don't know. There's so many guys that I'd love to catch. Uh, I couldn't really name one off the top of my say head. Say Jamie Moyer. You're a Northwestern <laughs> guy. Just say say Jamie Moyer. You want to work with a 74-mile-an-hour fastball. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. 
Reese McGuire is our guest here on episode number 30 of the show before the show. Uh, Reese, before we let you get out of here, we, we covered this a little bit earlier, but we have to get your take again. You are a, uh, a Tesla owner and posted a video of your dad driving your car, not driving, being driven in your car, which now is able to drive itself. Uh, how excited are you to get home and be able to sit in a robotic car? You are like a guy embodying the future now. How excited are you to, to be one of those guys soon? No, it's pretty sweet. I, uh, the <laughs> Tesla's always had this capability, you know, to be able to have it self-driven, but they never released it because of the liabilities and they had to come up with laws and stuff like that. So, but I guess they finally have. And so they updated it. And so my dad was kind of making me jealous, you know, showing off. He's like, yeah, check this out. I'm not even driving your car, but so it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Riding around and get some Tim's Cascade potato chips or something. One of those. <laughs> I'm just going to throw in as many Seattle areas. I was going to say, yeah, you about. have to prove that you know. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. I love it up there. Reese McGuire, Pittsburgh Pirates prospect, 2013 first-round pick, and uh, an Arizona Fall League participant here in the 2015 season. Reese, thanks a ton for uh, for working with us and getting this done and, and being able to shed some light on, you know, what it's like for you uh, going into this AFL season and the off season and beyond. And uh, we'll certainly be watching as this thing wraps up and you head into 2016 and big things ahead. Thanks a ton, man. I'd appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Tyler. We have one working microphone for Benjamin Hill's segment. So uh, rather than like leaning all around like we did the last time where we were all like Motown backup singers, I'm just going to hold the mic and I'm going to pass it between uh, you and Sam. And it's going to be this is just going to be a good exercise in like old timey radio. Hi, Ben. Hi. How's this uh, exercise in old-timey radio working out for you so far, Tyler? Okay, first off, I mean, things are – I'm liking it so far. I feel very much in control with the microphone. First, I need to ask you a, a minor league baseball office trivia question. There is a jersey that is currently hanging like eh, 12 feet from where we sit, and it's autographed by a, uh, a 2000s – you can stand up and get a look at it because I don't think you'll be able to pick out who the autograph is from. But it says Bammers across the front, of course, MLB Advanced Media. It's autographed by a band member – from a, a pretty infamous like late 90s, early 2000s band for, we'll say, five points because we don't have a point system. Who is the autograph on that jersey, Ben? Well, I do know the answer to this. Oh, I yeah, actually I, used yeah. to – I used to sit back oh, here. That's right. When I started, your office was over here, I think. Right, and it would bother me that working for an esteemed company such as Major League Baseball <laughs> Advanced Media and having a framed jersey right by my office, you'd think, oh, wow, who is that? Maze? Mantle? <laughs> no. By my uh, old cubicle was a framed jersey of Scott Stapp <laughs> from Creed. But he wrote that five sweet. Five points on the board. Five <laughs> points for Ben. He wrote that sweet Marlins Will Soar song. Oh, is that why he uh, probably Who became knows? a legend in the Major League Baseball Advanced Media universe? <laughs> I mean, look, I have respect for anyone who can carve out a career in the entertainment industry. I'm just not a fan of Creed, and <laughs> it was frustrating to sit so close to Scott Stapp's autograph for several years of my life. Scott Stapp. Living on, living on in the uh, in the world of minor league baseball. Um, welcome, Ben. Welcome back. First of all, uh, you the last time I was here, phenomenal beard. Today, outstanding flow. You got like good like Mets rotation hair now. Oh, thank you. I, I get that as a result of not cutting it. <laughs> A lot of hard work. All right, let's dive in. Um, today, uh, a really, really good story up on MILB.com, as always, from you, which is the, one of the ones from your 
former, I guess, Eastern League swing. Now it's a New York Penn League city. But uh, Norwich, Connecticut has a really interesting baseball history. And it's something that you dived into with a story that's up this week on the site and is kind of inspirational and difficult to just like lead into with a quick question. But basically, a guy decided he wanted baseball in his hometown and brought baseball. Tell us the story of the now the Connecticut Tigers and formerly the Norwich Navigators. Yeah, usually when you think of a stadium getting built, you think of you know the usual mix of uh, interested ownership group wanting to relocate a team, finding a uh, market where the politics are uh, ripe to build a stadium, and you have influential people in the in the government and in the ownership group working together to build a stadium. In Norwich, it was basically just a guy, a private citizen. His name is Glenn Carberry, and I spoke to him when I was at the Connecticut Tigers game at Dodge uh, at Dodge Stadium in late August, and um, I'll just. I was told before I met him, you know, this is the guy who basically got the stadium built. So I was kind of incredulous when I'm interviewing him just to be like, wait, you weren't affiliated with anyone? That's what you would think. If somebody said, this is the guy who got the stadium built, you'd think city council member, mayor, something like that. Not the case. Right. He was just, he's a local lawyer. So he had um, obviously experience in, you know, land acquisition and, and complex business deals. Obviously a baseball fan. Uh, had ran for Congress. Um, Twice, actually, in 1988 and 1992. So certainly knew how the system worked. He wasn't you know, completely random in that regard. But he didn't have an ownership stake. He didn't have an interest. He just said, I think there are ways we can get this done. And I spoke to him uh, for about half an hour and condensed that into a story that's up on MILB.com, talking about obtaining funding, finding an in- interested team to move to Norwich, Connecticut, um, George Steinbrenner almost blocking the move for reasons too convoluted convoluted to get into here. But I just found it really interesting to talk about how something like that gets done, especially when the person getting it done is is basically a private citizen with the know how to know how know enough how things work and, and make it happen. And so if you go to a Connecticut Tigers game now at Dodd Stadium, you walk onto the concourse and it's the Glenn Carberry concourse and that's named after Glenn Carberry, the uh local lawyer who wanted minor league baseball in the town and got it done. Yeah, and kind of when I was growing up, they were the Navigators, you know, the Connecticut Navigators, double-A team with the Yankees and eventually the Giants. Um, how were they able to kind of weather that, you know, moving from double-A down to high-A, or not high-A, uh, short season? And, you know, what did Carberry have to do with that? Uh, at that point, he was not involved with, with the team. You know, he, he once he got the stadium built, um, he, he was the team's lawyer, and uh, later on he was part of the ownership group. But when the double-A team, which at that point was the Connecticut Defenders, was sold to Richmond, then he got out of it. So he had nothing to do with then uh, the Oneonta Tigers moving to uh, Norwich and becoming the Connecticut Tigers. But something he said and something uh, several of the front office members said to me is double-A was kind of a ambitious for the market. It worked out for a few years. They got a double-A team in 1994. It worked out for a few years, then kind of didn't work for a number of years, and it kind of made sense uh, to lose the double-A team, have that team go to Richmond, and then get a New York Penn League team. Uh, you know, it's tough to draw in a market that's not that big, and also in New England, where it's pretty tough to draw anywhere in April and May when it's 40 degrees out. So, um, a short season club is probably best for Norwich in the long run, and I don't think it's something that anyone's really lamenting too much, the loss of double-A. One of the crazy things you kind of segued into there is, uh, you know, Connecticut moves a team to Richmond. Oneonta moves a team to Connecticut. A lot of the teams that currently exist 
basically every team that currently exists is not a new club. It's a club that came from somewhere. So a lot of these histories, a lot of these affiliations go back a long, long way. The Gwinnett Braves, before that were the Richmond Braves. They were a, a very long-time tenured team there. That's what opened the door when they moved for a double-A team to go to Richmond. That opened the door for a New York Penn League team to go to Connecticut. Those things are all tied in together. And there is a, a current situation in the world of baseball in which a team that has been around for a long time hasn't won for a long time. The Chicago Cubs don't look as if they are going to win uh, the World Series this year, but hey, it's back to the future day. Who really knows? Uh, <laughs> we're recording early, obviously, if they come back from being down 3-0. But you, Ben, dove into uh, – there are teams in minor league baseball that have experienced similar droughts. Now, hardly anybody goes 107 years without a title. But you've done a lot of research on this in recent days. Uh, who are the long-suffering? If we had to deal with, you know, the Nick Offermans of minor league baseball tweeting about how much they want a title for their team, which Chicago's only had, you know, a Super Bowl and six NBA titles and three Stanley Cups, so they're so starved there. But for uh, minor league baseball, who are the long-suffering fan bases title-wise? Yeah, I was inspired to uh, research and write a story, which will be up on MILB.com this week, about just that, inspired by the Cubs. What are the longest droughts in, in minor league baseball? First things first, there's nothing close to what the Cubs have gone through. Um, in the minor leagues, one, you know, the the leagues are only usually between eight and 14 teams, uh, 16 in the extreme case. So yeah, kind of goes around. Everybody ends up winning. Right, so there's a lot less competition. And it's so in flux that thing, your fortunes can change very quickly. So there's nothing even close to the level of the Cubs. But I've researched every league and um, with the caveat that the team had to be in the same market at the same level of play. And I asked Sam this earlier, like, who would you think, Tyler, is the number one minor league team who has gone the longest while playing in the same city at the same level of play without winning a title? That's such a good question. You have five seconds. <laughs> Four, uh, three, uh, two. Colorado Springs Sky Sox. Not a bad guess. Not a bad guess, but the answer is the Syracuse Chiefs. Really? The 1976 Syracuse Chiefs. So, in the scheme of things, the longest drought in all of minor league baseball, 1976, not that long. But it's the International League Syracuse Chiefs. And not far behind in 1978 is uh, Visalia. Then the Oaks, now the Rawhide. And they are cursed. I wrote a story about this when I visited Visalia. Uh, the last time they won, a young Joe Charbonneau, who quickly blew up in uh, Cleveland about two years after that as Rookie of the Year. Um, you know, hard partying, wild guy. He had a pet alligator when he lived in Visalia and uh, left at the end of the season, and that alligator died in sad circumstances, I think, in a bathtub. And the team later determined that that was the reason they haven't won a, a, a championship since 1978 is because the alligator cursed the team. So in, in, in certain years, they've tried to uh, reverse the curse in certain ways, trying to, uh, you know, beg forgiveness of the spirit of Joe Charbonneau's dead uh, alligator, but this has not yet happened. So the second longest championship drought in all of minor league baseball is the Visalia Rawhide. And uh, number three, this is not a drought per se because they've never won, but Charleston River Dogs, formerly the Rainbows, started as the Royals, have not won since uh, 1980. Wow. Which, uh, you know, you got Bill Murray, you know, big Cubs fan, wanting the Cubs to win, but, uh, you know, he he's a co-owner of the River Dogs, so uh, maybe he should uh, focus his efforts there, you know. It's funny because when you mentioned Visalia, these are the things that, like, stick in your head as baseball people. I would never 
have thought of this in a context otherwise, but remembering the curse story. When you said Visalia, just the story about the alligator popped into my head, and I thought, oh, yeah, curse because the alligator, which is like one of those things that only baseball people, we only have weird things like that, where saying Visalia hasn't won a title would automatically give you that, you know, the Pavlovian reaction of, oh, yeah, the alligator, that's right. Yeah, I I think uh, working in baseball, and especially minor league baseball, we've ended up with – so much useless information that becomes second nature to us but then when you get out of a very certain select group of company it's just like what is this dude talking about and why is it important to him and what life choices did he make to get to a point where he knows this stuff and was it a good decision these are not the things you just like we all walk into bars and we're like hey have you guys heard about that visalia alligator curse things are crazy there yeah yeah i've been on many dates through the years where uh it's like hey check this story out Check this story out. And then, uh, you know, usually it's not as interesting to other people, but I persevere. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. And uh, we are, you know, constantly benefiting from the good stuff that Ben's putting up on the site. But there's also a ton of stuff going up on the blog as well, um, which you're like, you know, getting sort of close, I guess, now to the end of the road trips. But what's up next on the blog? Yeah, I just finished um, in addition to the feature on uh, the Connecticut Tigers and how the stadium got built. I have. Finished blogging about the Connecticut Tigers, and uh, we'll have uh, my recap of New Britain's final game on the blog coming soon. And uh, God willing, I will finish all my in-season content by the end of the World Series. That is my goal. So uh, keep reading, and I'll keep writing, or keep I'll keep writing, and you keep reading. Whatever it is, we'll get through this together. Ben's Biz Blog, thank you. This is not a bad thing because you are still on track, I feel like, to be done by the end of the World Series. Ordinarily, I would lay out a timeline like that because I think you mentioned that to us a couple weeks ago, and it would just fall apart immediately. Like, I would say it by the end of that show, I would have screwed it up. But you're pretty – that's pretty manageable, I think, because you still got – like, it could go until November 4th. Yeah, that's what helps. Uh, The World Series going to a (laughs) ridiculously (laughs) long November 4th – that helps me. So that will be psychologically good for me. If I finish all my in-season content, the World Series ends, and then, uh, you know, baseball can fade away on every level for my life for a little while, and I think I'll be fine with that. We all believe in you, Ben. Thank you. Benjamin Hill. Go follow him on Twitter at Ben's Biz. Read the blog, bensbiz.mlblog.com, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. <laughs>our huge thanks as always Reese McGuire a couple of segments ago from the Pittsburgh Pirates organization in the Arizona Fall League as of right now and of course our good pal Benjamin Hill who gave me a sweet Denver Bears t-shirt which I will cherish forever Uh, big thanks to those guys you can follow Ben of course on Twitter he's at Ben's Biz and uh, that's going to do it for the 30th edition of the show before the show you can follow Sam on Twitter he's at Sam Dykstra M-I-L-B I am going to leave and the rest of the show is just going to be Sam for the next like six hours talking about the Star Wars trailer <laughs> which I assume you were a fan of oh yes very very okay. much so right. it's the yeah. only reason why I tuned into Monday Night Football this week <laughs> so if I may I heard it was a real good yeah, game yeah no I literally yelled at the TV why are you not cutting the commercial <laughs> and I've never done that before in my life just um, show us the trailer yeah so if anybody wants to tweet at me i won't give you all my thoughts now we don't have six hours i can give you six hours i do not have six hours nor do you um some of my quick thoughts where where's luke i had you know i have my own theories what are your theories where's luke um what or who is ray the Day- daisy ridley's character 
they still haven't explained. Obviously, it's a trailer. They're not going to explain I'm it I'm nodding over here like I have any idea. What yeah, I thought things. you actually knew what I was talking not about. Not a clue. I was, I was Luke, I know. Yeah, well, Luke, you should know. <laughs> we don't know where Luke is. Where is Luke? What is he up to? Is he evil? Is he Kylo Ren? I hope not, but it probably it's a possibility. Uh, Ray could be Luke's daughter. He could be Han's daughter. He could be, I don't know, the long-lost Skywalker of some sort. Um, so yeah, it's a, it, it was an exciting time. I, I like the uh, second trailer more than this final trailer. I'm okay. gonna say the the less revealed in trailers, the better. So I agree. The one agree. where they just ended with Harrison Ford saying Chewie were home. Oh uh, uh, yeah, just, I saw that one. I think I I was in the office when I saw it, and I screamed internally if not externally. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, I mean. We, couple months away we're still two months away from that but uh, if anybody has any thoughts feel free to tweet me about those or email the podcast or anything like we're that. prepping you all for our december and january episodes of the show before the show which will probably just be us bantering about pop culture yeah we could do our oscar <laughs> picks <though. laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> we'll just do that december and january is just gonna be nothing but us talking movies it'll be our opportunity to wear the tuxes that we wore for the milby that's show. a good idea so it's a got, really good idea we, we paid are, a lot of it's money it's a good thing we tuxes. bought those yeah we can't <laughs> for our audio only podcast <laughs> we don't rent thing. those they, they, come on now <laughs> We are recording this on Back to the Future Day as well, and I have yet to see. There's an actual DeLorean apparently driving around town giving people lift rides. Oh, today. I saw that. I have yeah. yet to see it. I hope it just. It's probably one that's just going back in time. Generally, yeah, right? that's probably like, true. It, there's one, but if you see five, it's just the same one. <laughs> it's the same one, it. just blasting through various black holes yeah. around the city. Uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, we got all kinds of stuff going on here in uh, October 21st in New York City. Um, but we are going to have more AFL coverage, obviously, more notebooks, uh, more organization all-stars that are coming up. And the Milby Awards voting is underway right now. You can hop on to MILB.com and vote for your choices for best offensive performer, best starting pitcher, best relief pitcher, breakout prospect, farm system, best team, best game, best home run, all kinds of stuff. we got some really good races going on as well, Sam. Yeah, uh just kind of pouring over the numbers myself right now just looking at some of the closer ones one of the really close ones is farm system uh let me just get that up real fast here. that has like seven teams between 20 percent and 12 percent of the vote right yeah the astros the cubs the pirates the twins and the yankees are all competing for that and that's a legit five team or five organization race so if you're a fan of any of those clubs or any of those farm systems or if you think how is blank not winning that right now? Please go and vote and kind of tip the scales one way, whichever you favor. Um, some of these other ones are really close. Looking at the promos that you guys have talked yeah. about. Uh, Staten Island, uh, Rochester, Fresno, and Toledo are all in competition there. Um, even down to starter right now is kind of close. Matt Boyd, uh, Jacob Faria, and Luke Weaver are near the top there blake snell is also in competition you know friend of the pod we have to give him a shout out not necessarily an endorsement we're right not allowed nope. to do that we, no we're objective media members yeah you vote however you feel <laughs> please vote however you feel but yeah blake snell in the com- competition for that so please go go to the milby's page yeah it's all do over yeah give us your uh, your input this is democracy in action uh, so that's going to do it for episode number 30 of the show before the show. Again, you can follow Sammy's at Sam Dykes or MILB. Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. I'm at Tyler Mon. Email the podcast your questions, thoughts, inquiries about prospects, whatever you need. That's podcast at MILB.com. And we will talk to you guys next week. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 